I'm going to ask that uh, Crystal and Lynn, you guys want to come up here? Yeah, you two. Yeah, yeah. Come up. Come up. Yeah, both of you. Um, come on up. Um, and I'm going to, yeah, welcome them up here. They uh, are going to sing. I don't know if you've ever heard them sing, but they are, just kidding, come on. Um, but I, I want to tell you a, a little bit, and I know not all of you are going, but all of you can uh, support people that are going in your prayers uh, or in your giving, if you want to do that, to South Africa. So today, um, I booked 20 tickets to South Africa uh, in a group uh, group tickets. I don't have to have the names yet, but I just by faith believe we we're going to have 20, and we, we also booked the uh, transportation, and we booked the hotels. So we have, we have stuff ready to go. We have, I think, if I'm correct, Nathan can correct me on this one, but I think we have um, like 35 people who have 33, 32 people who've signed up to go. So um, I, we don't know if all of you will end up going. We don't know if we want all of you to go, really. You know, I mean, some of you are a little difficult, and, you know, may it's charter a different plane for you. But, um, but I thought it was really neat. Last week, I believe it was, we were talking about, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Crystal can help me on this one. But we were talking about how, how to get support, how to raise money, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, Crystal, come on up here and uh, tell them your story. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Crystal. Um, okay. So, um, like, two weeks ago, they were like, okay, if you want to go to South Africa, stay after. We're going to have a meeting. So, at the end, um, Phil was, like, praying, like, okay, and we pray that everyone will, you know, get their... Yes. <laughs> That's how you pray. It's so, like, um... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, so, um, so... I um, dog sit on the side of my like real job, so if, like you guys need a dog sitter, I'm your girl. So anyway, um, so it's, like I plan to pay for my South Africa trip and my husband, like uh, both, you know, the dogs are gonna cover that. So I was praying like God, please bring a bunch of dogs for me to watch over the holidays. And so um, I'm part of this like website called Dog Vacay. So they like find the people that need a dog sitter and then they like connect you so usually people want to do this like they want to talk to you on the phone first and then they want to do a meet and greet and it's a it's like a long process so I'm sitting here and I'm um, like you know Phil's praying and then I'm praying and then I'm like okay just bring a dog and so then um as like as the prayer is going on my phone vibrates and it's like congratulations you've got a new booking which never happens because you usually have to do a meet and greet first and then it was like can we book you for three weeks all in December and I was like yes and so I was like so excited and so then um we're like walking out and I'm like I can't believe that I just got this like right when I was saying it and that's already gonna you know be like a fourth of one of our trips that's paid for from this dog and so then I was looking at it and I was first off me and Brian we have a shih tzu poo and he's always like there's no other shih tzu poos in the world this dog is a shih tzu poo which is like a miracle second the dog's name is Simba like an African name confirmation confirmation from god okay god has a sense of humor and he likes disney okay so anyway that is my story so i'm pretty excited yeah lynn come on up here she's going to get her daughter back who's been in australia uh 
So Scouts in Australia, she is um, with YWAM, and she went on a six-week uh, missions trip to India. Six weeks? Well, no. Well, oh, she's yeah, I'm six sorry. weeks to India. So she's been she's. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> uh, so she's been gone for six months. So she went to Australia. She had three months training, then six weeks in India, and then she went back to Australia. And she's probably graduating right this very minute. I wish we could watch it on Facetime, but that's okay. So um, a couple weeks ago, Scout and I talk on Facetime, and she said, "Mom." I already signed up for South Africa, and I was like, Scout, oh my gosh, are you, you're, you're, you're kidding me, we can't do that, it's, you know, costs money, and she goes, Mom, God, we'll take care of it, and you need to go too, and I was like, okay, Scout, so, um, so Scout signed up, I signed up last week, last week when I was here, I was just kind of like, I was like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go, but I was, you know, stressed about finances, so, um, do you want me to tell my story I told you? Sure. Okay, so, um, a few months ago, my dad passed away, and my dad, um, let's see, how can I put this? He liked to buy stuff. So he had a lot of stuff in, in, in their house, and my mom and I were going through some drawers the other day, and she found these two gold watches, and she goes, let's, these, I don't even know where these came from. There's no sentimental value. Let's take them down to this jeweler who my dad knew and see if he can get you some money to go towards your trip and scout's trip. So I said, Oh, sure. Why not? So we went down there and he weighed them and he goes, yeah, okay, I can give you $1,100. So I was like, what? That's awesome. And so then I, um, I said, you, I just want you to know you're helping my daughter and I go on a missions trip to South Africa. And he was like, wow, that's very cool. Make sure you bring me pictures and show me pictures of your trip. And then even just uh, today, I went through another drawer and I opened it up and um, there was a bag full of um, coins and most of them were the dollar coins. So I took them down to the coins jar um at my bank if you bank at schools first they have a coin star and they don't charge you by the way so um and there was another 193 dollars in there so um i just was so overwhelmed and grateful for my dad who always took care of us in fact the last thing on my dad's computer before he um before he died he was getting ready to book scouts um, airline flight to south um to australia so even even in his death my dad is still taking care of us and we are just grateful so that was a great little um boost for us to see and i was so encouraged by my daughter she said mom we're going you're going i'm going we're both going god's gonna take care of it and i was like that's right scout you you preach it little girl so <laughs> so she um she's graduating right now right this minute and she'll be back on monday and she's gonna she's so excited to come back she missed you guys terribly so that's, awesome. there go. that's great You know, and, and remember, the great thing about the trip is the process that gets you to the trip. You know, everybody focuses on destination, and few people realize process is the most important thing you do. And it's kind of like, well, I want to get here. Well, yeah, but the process of faith, the process of the journey, and the stories that, that what, what God builds into you in the process are the things that you need when you get to the destination. If the process doesn't work right, if you don't go through the process, if it's somehow short-circuited, you don't have all you need when you get to the destination. So the truth is, in the spiritual life, the reason that you have challenges and the reason you have difficulties in life is because the process is getting you ready for the destination of eternity. 
you see that see what what life is all about is God shaping his church the body of Christ to where the church reflects the very glory of God and the stuff that's unneeded is taken out of the way so that you are prepared to rule and reign with Christ in eternity see there's something wrong with the theology that theology says that death accomplishes what could not be accomplished in life does that make sense See, sometimes we just think, well, you know, I just want to get there. When I get there, then every, he'll fix me all up. I'll be brand new. You know, I'll have everything I need. But remember, the process is important for the destination. Because the reason you lay up for tre- yourself for treasures in heaven now is because that's important then. It's not just to, to change your lifestyle here sacrifice and and fasting and praying and all of those things that we do those are not just ways to get us humble and contrite before God they are a process that are shaping our inner man our spirit man for eternity because it is our destiny to rule and reign with him that's what it says in revelation right to him who overcomes will will I grant to sit with me on my throne in eternity now think about that He's made us kings and priests. You see, there's, a, there's, there's all this stuff, all this stuff, that is the process is important. King David. <clears throat> King David was, uh, was a, I'm just going to take you on a little bit of a journey. So there's this little shepherd boy named David. He is the eighth son of Jesse. And he is the runt of the litter. He really is. And, and he's, really, he's really just kind of pushed out of the way by the brothers. Remember that? And, and all of a sudden, the prophet shows up at the house of Jesse, and he said, I've come to, to search for a king. And, and so he brings the boys by. And the seven boys come by, and, you know, and he, he's looking at him. He goes, you know, this, guy's, this guy looks like a king. This is the guy. The guy says, no, that's not the guy. He says, do you have any other sons? He said, yes, I have one son, but he's out watching a few sheep. You know, now see how the diminished that is? You know, he's out there. We don't have him in the family. He's watching just a few sheep. We couldn't trust him with a lot. They bring him in. The minute he sees it, he goes, this is the guy. He's going to anoint him. And, and he says, he reminds Samuel, he says, God doesn't look on the outer man. He looks on the heart. Now, fast forward just a little bit. All of a sudden... There's a battle going on, and here are the Philistines, or if you go to Harvard, it's the Philistines, all right? (laughs) Right? Okay, and there's this battle going on, and all of a sudden, this giant comes out by the name of Goliath, who is a picture and a type of the Antichrist. It's what he is. Everything about him, you add up all the weight of all the shield and everything, comes up with 666. Oh, it's pretty amazing when you look at it. And so here is this battle. There's this giant comes out, and he says, send me a man. He didn't want to do battle army to army. Send me a man. And nobody wants to go out. Who wants to fight this guy? He's the biggest guy in town. And so so finally David shows up, and he says to his brothers, what's going on here? He said, why did you leave your sheep? They're still mad about the, you know, the, the whole episode with Samuel, the prophet. Why'd you leave your sheep? He said, who is this Philistine dog 
that defiles the armies of the Most High God. They're looking around going, what? He says, God, the God who delivered me from the mouth of the, uh, of the bear and the paw of the lion will surely deliver me from this Philistine. The process was what got him to that place. Being left alone to tend those few sheep against the predators that would come got him ready for that moment. Without the process, he wasn't ready for the moment. The Christian life is all about a process. It's all about getting you to a place to where you're ready. King Saul hears it. This is good news to him. He doesn't want to go fight him. He brings him in and he says, here, take my armor. And he puts this giant armor. You can imagine this little boy, probably, probably 15, 16, 17 years old, puts his armor on this boy and he says, you know, it's not proven. It hasn't been tested You know, the principle in in the New Testament is test all things, prove all things to make sure they're ready. That's why it says, you know, don't put a guy as a pastor too quick because he gets he gets pride, gets filled with pride and 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 it becomes a destructive to his very nature. Prove all things. He says, you know, um, King Saul and I'll do respect. I you know, this stuff doesn't fit me. And, you know, I'm you know, God has delivered me from the paw, the lion, the mouth of the bear. And and I just need some stones. I just need a about five stones, and I think I can take care of this guy real quick. Imagine this scene. He gets five stones. He goes out there, and and here comes this little guy, and here comes this giant out there, and he says, you send me this? And David says, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. The process got him to the place of the destination he'd learned something when David laid all alone out there in that wilderness and he began to think about and fear probably came across him and he probably laid back and he began to close his eyes and he just said something like this the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he'd hear something rustling in the bushes he makes me to lie down beside the still waters. The noise would increase. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and my cup overflows, and he anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You don't write that unless you've been through hell. You don't experience that unless you've been through hell. And he knew it. He knew that. So David, David, all of a sudden, he defeats Goliath. He goes out and he kills him, not with the five stones. He cuts his head off. That's how he dies, right? Cuts his head off, and he takes it back with him. Pretty good trophy, you know? And takes it back with him. And all of a sudden, as he comes into town, the women began to sing a song. And they sing a song that goes like this. I'm not going to actually sing it. I'm going to save you all the, the, the pain and the difficulty of my voice. But it says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul heard it. And he determined he was going to kill David. 
He had to get him out of the position that he was in. But somehow he couldn't just get rid of him, and he brought him into that. And, and Saul was already under affliction of, of, of evil spirits. Remember, he had, you know, he had, he had re- resisted God. He had gone against God there in 1 Samuel 15, and he didn't do what God had said. And it says the Spirit, re- God removed his spirit, that anointing of king on him. And he found himself tormented. And the only thing that would stop the torment, the, tor- the tormenting spirit would be when David would come in and play his flute. And somehow the spirit was moderated somehow in that situation. But several times he would pick up a spear and he would throw it at him and try to kill him. It was all important. It was all governed by the hand of God. Every spear that was thrown in his direction was governed by the hand of God. Because the process was important for the destination. He found himself running, and finally he found himself in a cave in Adullam. We're going to look at that tonight. But while he's there, he's thirsty. He's so thirsty. He tells his men, these mighty men, and he, he says, I'm so thirsty. Without him, without him knowing it, they snuck out and they went down there to Jerusalem And they went into enemy lines, and they got water, and they brought it back, and they said, David, here, here's some water. He takes the water, and he pours it out on the ground as a sacrifice. He says, I can't drink. You risk your life for me. I cannot take it. He would later say something very similar. I cannot offer to the Lord that which has cost me nothing. Because the process was important to the destination. We pick up the story, David's mighty men. You see, those men knew something about life that we need to learn. Are you willing to go into enemy lines, behind enemy lines, to rescue someone, to bring them living water? Are you willing to give your life that somebody might be saved? That someone might be safe with God? You know, there was a hymn that, uh, that we used to sing, and it was something about uh, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Do you remember that one? All right. Snatch them. I can't remember exactly how it went. Snatch them from hell or something to that effect. And, you know, that's what we do. We're like, we're like, you know, we're like all in the, in the fire department. We're trying to rescue people from destruction. And if we don't believe there really is a separation between God and man when man rejects God, then why do we, why do, we do anything with this book? This book tells us that there is a heaven and there is a hell, there is a God and there is a Satan, and that, that we, have to, we have to love that God so much that we're willing to risk our reputation, risk our very life if necessary to bring someone into the kingdom of God. That's what it's going to take. It's going to really take a bunch of fanatics. It really is. It's just you just don't get anything done without fanatics. I mean, football teams understand it, Right? All right, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 22. 1 Samuel chapter, um, or chapter, 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, I apologize. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And it says here in, in 23 and verse 8, 
These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And I love all these names, don't you? Josheb, Bashebeth. How about that? The Tacomite. He was the one that invented the tachometer that's in your car. Chief among the captains, he was called Adino. Much better name. I'd call him that too. The Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. You know, if you're going to fight with somebody, you want this guy on your side. Amen? And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodu, the Ahorite, one of the three mighty men of David, when they were defiled, when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered for battle, and he, the men of, of Israel, had retreated. You know who this guy was? He was a guy who watched David kill Goliath. When you watch somebody in battle, it inspires you. Weren't you inspired just to hear some of these stories tonight? Then you go, yeah, I want to work at the desk. (laughs) Right? I want to talk to somebody too. It inspires us. I I remember hearing Billy Graham say one time, when when the spine of one man is strengthened, he strengthens a hundred men around him. There's something that inspires us, you know? And, and we want to be, we have to be an inspiration to one another. And this guy was inspired. And it says here in, in verse 10, and he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. You ever grip something so long? You ever play that childhood game where you squeeze somebody's finger and then you say, open it slowly, and you, you know, and you. Ah, don't do that again. Or maybe it was the blood, the stickiness of the blood that caused his hand to stick to that sword. But he wasn't going to put the sword down. The sword is the word of God, the living word of God, the two-edged sword, the piercing deep between the, the bone and the marrow and the, and the soul and the spirit. It's the living word of God. You can't put it down. Never put it down. Never put it down. Never put the Word of God down. It's the only strength you have. You know, when you have that Word and the Spirit of God is inspiring you inside, you got the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will abide how long? Forever. Thy Word, O Lord, is fixed in the heavens. By the Word of God did He create the earth and the heavens. By the Word of Of the mouth comes a confession unto salvation. The word is all-powerful. Let's go on and look what happened. His hand stuck, and the the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji. The Philistine had gathered together in a troop there in in a piece of ground full of lentils so that the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Now these are the guys that, he's, that, that are with David. This guy said there's a battle. There's something worth fighting for. He got out in this great big field. He stood there. I imagine he's turning in every direction, and he is taking on every enemy that comes up against him. But now look at this. Verse 13. Then three of the 30 chief men went down to the harvest time. They came to David in the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines and encamped at, at Rephidim. And David was in the stronghold and the garrison, the Philistines were in Bethlehem. 
And David said with a longing, oh, would someone give me drink of water from the well? And here's our story. Here's our story. I want to give you some, some timeless qualities that, that we need as evangelists. I'm calling you all an evangelist. You took the class on evangelism. You're now officially evangelist. All right? You got it? Some of you don't believe me. All right? Ready? Let's repeat after me. I am an evangelist. An evangelist does evangelism. Amen. All right. Okay. Here's the first one. Ready? You got it? Write this down. You have to have an appreciation of your past. And that leads you to humility. When a person can look honestly at themselves and see that it's not about them, they can walk humbly before God. You cannot do the work of evangelism without humility. Humility is one of those qualities that is never gained by seeking it. If somebody tells you they're humble, you know they're not. When they say, you know, it's really hard to be humble, yeah, you've got a lot to learn. But we become mighty through service. You know what, you know what service does when you serve? When you, when you do something like you park cars, you know what it does to you? It humbles you. When somebody asks you to, to be there and you don't want to be there, but you, you stay there longer than you wanted to stay there, you know what it does is it brings humility to you. If it doesn't bring bitterness, that's the opposite. I'm just so tired. All I do is work, work, work. I watch everybody else work, but who are you doing it for? The process is important to the destination. Have you heard me say that tonight? Okay. Mighty through service, not through seminars, not through books, not through Bible studies. You have to be in the battle to discover your weakness, and then you find his strength. You see, it's by God's design that you get weak. God loves you when you're weak because then he can become strong. Amen? You know, Paul said, I just prayed, God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. He says, no, I like you that way, Paul, because then you're strong. Then I can be strong in you. David was running for his life from Saul, living, living in a cave. His situation drew attention from those around him that were in a similar situation. You know, in the cave, you learn some of your best lessons. There's a book called The Dark Night of the Soul written by St. John of the Cross. When things are really not going well and you're a little bit down, a little bit discouraged, a little bit defeated, you come to the end of you. And you go, you know what? I really don't like me too much. God says, I didn't like that version of you either. But I, can, I got a new version. I got a new creation. I can show you how to walk in the Spirit. In the cave. Remember uh, Gideon? Where was, where'd, where'd they find Gideon? Where was Gideon? Anybody remember? I'll give you a hint. He was in the cave. God shows up and Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon's looking around going, who are you talking to? Mighty man, I see something in you nobody else sees. Gideon, you've been running for your life. You've been afraid. Gideon, the process is important for the destination. I'm going to use you in a great way. You go gather up a bunch of men and then reduces them, reduces them, gets it down to 300 to where there's no way that he can win the battle with 300 guys, and he doesn't. God did it. 
When you start giving up all your own personal strength, then God can move in. Now, what about these guys that were with him? They were all people, the Bible says, that were in distress. You ever been in distress? Maybe you're in distress tonight. I'm in distress. Guys, you should never be in distress. It's only for ladies. Sorry, I couldn't resist it. It might be physical. It might be financial. But you come to an end of the rope. And you know what? God loves the end of the rope. You know why? What, what you find at the end of a rope? God always ties a knot. I got, I'm going to, I can't ha- hold any longer. How many times have you said that? How many times have I heard that as a pastor? I just can't hold on any longer. And I go, yeah, you can. You're not even close. You got a lot left. Trust me, you got a lot left. I don't think so. My last day on earth, I don't think so. Ever been at the end of the rope? Good. That's where God wants you to be. Because he wants you to learn it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my what? Spirit, says the Lord. I got to run out of that stuff. It also says they were in debt. They were in debt. They were in over their head. Everything that was going on in their life was pounding. That pressure was just pounding away, pounding away, pounding away. You're never going to get out of this mess. You're never going to get out of this mess. You're never going to get out of this mess. You know what they did? They all found commonality. That's what they found. You know what we've seen in starting this church is commonality. You know, one of the funniest times, I just got to, for some of you who weren't here in those days, when we were back at the uh, um, charter school, the, at the middle school, and we had the worst metal chairs. If you were there, you remember. They were the more, you know, metal chair is bad. But when they're bent and they collapse, Right, remember? I mean, they were just some bad metal chairs, you know, and then people got creative and they started bringing in lounge chairs. I mean, not lounge, but those, you know, beach chairs and, you know, cup holders and cushions for their butt. I mean, it was hilarious, right? You learn something in that process. Some people, that was their favorite time in the church because it was just so raw. You just didn't even know what was going to happen, right? You remember the bathroom? The bathroom was amazing. I mean, we had people that wanted to clean it. It doesn't do any good. Because the seventh graders are going to come in here just right after, and it's going to make a mess of it. But, but just everything about it. But, you know, those are all things that just kind of make you. And they, they temper you, and they get you ready for the next phase of what you're doing. We had a lot of people that just they couldn't take this, the transition from, from that to Edwards Theater. Yeah, I don't like the theater thing. I'm not really into this thing. Kind of like Gideon's guys. That's why I look at it. Yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, all the guys that lapped water like a dog were out in the story of Gideon. You know that, right? They got down to lap water, but the guys that got down like this, they, they knew they kept their eye on the enemy. They were in. See, God, when God takes you on a journey, he takes you on a journey to get you somewhere. Every everything that we've done up to this place, everything in this class, every class that we've had. You know, we didn't plan on starting school of ministry. If a lot of you know, when we did, we were going to take prayer team through prayer and healing workbook. About twenty people, and then sixty-five people showed up. I believe we have something here. 
And we do the next class, 103 people show up. In this class, like 130 people showed up. You know, what's something's going on here? God's doing something, and it's all in this. If you, you know, you don't want to miss. Right, Rich? You want to miss. Look what happened to Thomas when he missed Sunday school, right? He had to, Jesus had to show up and give him a special encounter. They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. You know what the Hebrew reads when it says that they were discontented? It means that they were bitter. They were victims. They were blaming people. God had to get them all together in one place and show them, I want to show you something bigger than your bitterness. I want to show you something bigger than your debt. I want to show you something bigger than your discontentment. I want to show you something that is greater than anything else. I want to show you how you bring somebody into the kingdom of God. I want to show you how you become an evangelist for Jesus. I want to show you how you take the kingdom by storm. I want to show you how you get fired up for God and you forget church. You know, church is so boring without, without the kingdom. I'm just going, showing up, going home. But, man, when you get purpose in your heart, you begin to see things from a divine perspective and a kingdom perspective, doesn't it change everything? How about when you start to see the works of God? See somebody healed? What does that do to you? Dang, I want some of that. I want to get involved in that. I want to see God work in my life. When you talk to people, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's a, a notary that I just had to do some notary stuff for this parking agreement we have next door. And she had come up, and she was friends of Rosio's, I believe, and she was, uh, uh, she was talking, and, and uh, Rosio said, you should come to church here. And you could, you know, you're always telling somebody's not super interested, you know, like I have church, I know I have church. And so I'm just kind of, I say, yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know really if you should come to church, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you what God's doing. I started telling about some people getting healed, started telling about some miracles, and they perked up. Well, really, what time's your services? You know Why? Because churches are everywhere. People want to see the works of God. They want to see the power of God. I've done church. I want to see God show up and do something crazy big. Amen? You know, they didn't stay that way. They didn't stay discontented and debt and bittered, uh, embittered. They, they, they changed. They were transformed into men of valor. It says that they had faces like a lion. Think about that. Faces like a lion. You ever been to the zoo, look at those lions? You know, they're not like going, you know. <laughs> Don't stare at me like that. I just get so embarrassed. What do they do? They look at you like, I could eat you and never feel bad. <laughs> and even with that cage and, or those bars, how, you, how do you feel? Have you seen the thing on YouTube where the bicyclers are being chased by the bear? Oh, my gosh. I'm never bi- riding a bicycle again. Okay. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8 says, Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold of the wilderness. Listen. Mighty men of valor, men trained for battle who could handle the shield, the spear, whose faces were like the face of a lion and were as swift as gazelles on the mountain. Second quality, you have to have loyalty to the king. You have to have loyalty to the king. You know, it always bugs me when you hear people say, please never say this. I go to Phil's church. Please never say that. I don't have a church. 
Jesus does. This is never about me. This is always about Jesus. This is about loyalty to one king, one king only, King Jesus. Amen? It's just all about Jesus. It says in verse 38, all these were men of war. Now listen to this. This is 1 Chronicles 12.38 if you're writing it down. 1 Chronicles 12.38. All of these men of war who could keep rank, there's a military term, came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make King David over all of Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And here's, here's the qualities they had. Number one, they kept rank. You know what that means? Structure and authority. That's all it means. I just, man, I just, I got to just respect the authority of God, and I've got to walk in the structure he's laid before me. They were of one mind, so they kept rank, and they were of one mind. What does that mean? They had the right attitude. You ever had the wrong attitude? Who hasn't? Right? But you see, to follow the king, you got to have the right attitude. I got to have the right attitude. If I'm in the wrong attitude, I got to get out of the wrong attitude. They had discipline. They had discipline in their life. They had duty. You know what duty is? It's kind of a word we don't use anymore, but it, it's an I ought to do that. I tell our staff, I said, if you're walking around and you see trash on the, on, the, on the floor, pick it up. It is everybody's job. Amen? It's everybody's job. I ought to do that. Why wouldn't I do that? I go into the, the restroom. I wash my hands. If there's spots on the mirror, you know what I'm doing? If you ever walk in there and I'm doing this thing, I'm, I'm clean, I clean the mirror every time I go in there. If you go in there and see spots on there and you don't clean the mirror and I see you, I'm calling you down. <laughs> Why not? You know what it is? It's just a great reminder that we are servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You know what? When you go out and share your faith, you know what you're doing? You're doing service. You're doing the service of Jesus who came to serve and to give his life as a what? A ransom, a sacrifice. I've got to die. I've got to die to self to share my faith. If I try to preserve my dignity, I can't do it. i got to be like a lion. i got to look him in the face and say, Jesus loves you. You say, well, I don't really know how to witness. Just tell your testimony. Nobody can refute your testimony. You can say, look, I don't know the Bible very well. Honestly, this works. I don't know the Bible very well, but let me tell you what God did for me. I think he could do it for you too. Well, they'll say, well, what about how old the earth? Doesn't matter. If you go to hell, it don't matter. Amen? It really does. Some things just don't matter, but you share your testimony. It's powerful. Devotion. That's the I want to. I want to do this for God. David was her leader, but a leader is nothing without followers. There were three groups of warriors that were in this passage. We find them in First Chronicles, if you want to write this down, chapter 12. The first were those that had, were skilled in the bow, arrow, and sling. You know what those guys were? They were the behind-the-line guys. They had projectiles. They were throwing stuff, shooting stuff, slinging stuff, and that was their giftedness. You know what? Some of you, don't worry that you're not like on the front line and, and everybody's getting saved when they come to you. Are you, throwing, are you casting seed? Are you throwing out prayers? You know, it's hard to pray 
for somebody to come to faith in Christ and not share. But, you know, you just start saying, God, I just pray for people to be saved. Everywhere I go, I'm God, I just want somebody to be saved. God, I don't want to do it. Just say this. God, I don't even want to do it. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want people to be saved. I just want people to be saved. And guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to want to tell somebody about how to get saved. Doesn't, right? Because the Spirit gets a hold of you. and go, I, I, I can do this. Then there were those who had the, short, the uh, sword and the shield. They were the front line people. They were eye-to-eye contact. Some of you are already there. Some of you want to be there. Some of you used to be there, and you backed off. You said, I'm going behind the lines. I want to just sling a rock or two. And you say, no, I've got to get up in that line again. I want, I want to get up there and get where it is. And then there were those in First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. They were the strategists. They were the men of Issachar. They said, we've got we to get this thing planned out. We've got to figure out how to get this thing going. We've got a new uh, coming out for, uh, you know, we do these door hangers. I just want to digress a little bit on this because it really does relate. Because I really believe Christmas Eve can be a, the biggest day for every one of you to bring someone to Christ to talk to somebody about Jesus. So we're going to hand out, we're going to put 12,000 door hangers in Anaheim Hills. This is our biggest one. We've always done 10, but this one has the little Christmas Eve thing on the front. And on the back, it has a plan of salvation and a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. So 12,000 homes are going to get those. You say, well, I just throw those away when I get them, but not everybody does. We've got, we've got people in our church from a door hanger. I've had people walk up and go, hey, I got this. They're like show and tell. <laughs> I got this. Hey, that's good. Good. This is my church now. But think what would happen now. They're out there, and you're praying. Okay, God, I don't even know where those 12,000 homes are. They're basically, they run up that way, up the hill, up Serrano, all the way down. Imagine, you just start praying, God, Lord of the harvest. God, would you just send workers into that harvest? There's 12,000 homes that potentially could read the plan of salvation and pray the prayer of salvation. God, I just, I, I want to, we're, we're going to throw some projectiles over there, right? We're going to lob some prayers into the hills. You know, we're going to disperse the power of darkness into the hills. And then I'm going to start talking to people. I'm going to start bringing them here. We're, we're going to hear the gospel on Christmas Eve. Easy to get people there on Christmas Eve, you know? There are people who've never seen the church decorated with anything other than Easter lilies and poinsettias. They, don't even, they think we do that year-round. <laughs> but what happens if you bring someone with you? Tammy and I were in Romania back in 1990, right after Ceausescu was uh, assassinated, right after the wall, you know, the Berlin Wall fell in 89. And, and uh, we were preaching, and we were there, I don't know, two or three weeks preaching in these churches in Romania. And they'd been under communism so long that they, they would, even though it was August, and it was like, it was the hottest, most miserable place I've ever been in my life. I, I don't even know the way to put it. It was just miserable. And no air conditioning. And then they would shut the doors and the windows in that temperature because they were afraid. They were still had the fear of communism that if they got too loud, they'd get arrested. And I gave an invitation the first time I preached. And afterwards, they asked me if I would not ever do that again. And I said, why? They said, because our people bring their people to here, and they like to lead them to Jesus themselves on the way home. Isn't that awesome? They want to, they want to be there when it happens. They want to see him come to faith. They've invested in him. 
They don't want me to take the joy from them. I thought that was the greatest thing I ever heard of. We always say, well, you've got to give an invitation. Well, not if you're given one. If every one of you are given one. I thought that was powerful. Leonard Ravenhill is one of my favorites, and he, he wrote this one time. Many of us are hunting mice while lions devour the land. We're out here looking for stuff that don't matter while lions are devouring the land. Third thing is a commitment to win the battle. Commitment to win the battle. That's perseverance. These mighty men were tired of serving the wrong king. You know, as a Christian, you can serve the wrong king. You can serve the king of pleasure, serving the king of leisure time, serve the king of too bu- I'm too busy. If you're too busy for God, then you're just in the wrong business. David set an example of courage and sacrifice. They saw that what David could do armed with just five stones against Goliath. But the five stones never explained David's success. He really only used how many? One, someone said, you know, he had four brothers. You know, he was probably saving up for those guys. But also, you know, five in the, in the Bible is a number of death. First guy that dies is in Genesis chapter 5. First guy that dies in the church is in Acts chapter 5. Just an interesting side note. Refuse to accept that the game is over. When you're witnessing to somebody and they want to hear it, just keep going. I've drilled this into Randy Adams' head so much, I think he's he's turned into a a wild man now. He said, when they don't want to hear about Jesus, just tell them about Jesus. When they they don't want to hear about Jesus, just tell them about Jesus. Had a great thing happen here last week. I met with uh, Vivian's son, Brandon, and he prayed and received Christ. She did all the work. I just got to be there when it happened. Determine that you can and you will win the battle. Reposition yourself for success when you fall down. Get back up. Proverbs says, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. The wicked falls on the day of calamity, never gets back up. So you made a mistake. Get back up, keep running in the same direction. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Then just keep running the right dire- in the same direction that you know, the good direction of God. Don't let the voice of reason guide you. Seek the voice of the Spirit. Don't let your mind tell you what you should do. Let your spirit, Joe man, let the Spirit inside of you tell you what to do. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I love that story I think Kelly told about, you know, I just, God just told me, you know, what to do. I mean, I needed to go out and get a devotion. Go get a devotion and wait. I'm going to do what the Spirit of God tells, and I'm going to wait on the Spirit of God. I don't have to force anything if the Spirit of God told me to do it. You know, Jeremiah said uh, he got mad at God. You ever got mad at God? He does a lot of good. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, like, you know, what are you going to do to him? I'm mad at you, God. Jeremiah got mad. Here's what he said. He said, God, you deceived me, and I am deceived. And he said, I won't speak your name again. He said, and then your word was like a fire in my bones. 
and I could not keep but speak your name. Your word was like a hammer to my heart, and I could not keep from speaking your name. When you start letting the hammer crush the fears in your heart, and it'll crush the voice of the enemy. You'll go forth like David. Who is this Philistine dog that defiles the armies of the Most High God? You'll be like the Apostle Peter who stood up in Acts chapter 2, said, Men of Israel, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. That was the guy that was denying Jesus, remember? You may feel like the underdog. In fact, you may be the underdog. But everybody loves an underdog, don't they? Everybody. Everybody roots for the underdog. We love it when the weaker, the less talented succeed. We love to see the weaker overthrow the stronger. There's something inside of us. If you need to see yourself as weak in order to, to, to win, to see yourself as weak. But I, I may be weak in my own strength, but boy, I've got God inside of me. I'm going forth with the power of Almighty God. You know, I, I love this quote. It's by a guy named John Mason. He said, success is often a matter of holding on long after others have let go. Would you be willing to pray just a little bit longer to see your friend saved? Would you be willing to just speak one more word to see your friend saved? Would you be willing just to spend a little more time getting ready with the word to see your friend saved? Taking a risk is essential to everything worthwhile in life. Think of something worthwhile that doesn't involve a risk. Worthwhile things just involve a risk. Going to get married? That's a risk. Going to have kids? That's a risk. Right? Going to climb a mountain? That's a risk. Going to witness for Jesus? That's a risk. Success falls more to the courageous than, uh, than to those who understand and plan everything out but can't act. Just act. Well, what if I don't know what to say? Then just say it anyway. Go up to somebody and say, you know what? I'm really bad at this witnessing stuff. I don't even know if you know what that means, but I'm supposed to tell, you know, like, I love that story. You know, I'm, I, got, I got an assignment to tell you about Jesus. Would you just let me just practice on you? Could I just practice? I mean, you don't have to get saved right now or anything, but could I practice? Yeah, go ahead and practice. Do you know Jesus loves you? Well, yeah, I think he does. Do you know you're a sinner? Well, yeah, that's pretty clear. Would you, do you want to go to hell? Well, no, I don't think so. Would you like to go to heaven? Well, that sounds pretty good. Let's pray. <laughs> Practice. Whole new technique. Admit how bad you are at it, how afraid you are of it, and just say, let me just practice on you. Don't sit back and wait for the perfect moment. Those never come. Make the moment perfect with the Spirit of God. Make the moment perfect. When you get the Spirit of God in there, it's a perfect moment. Never forget where God found you. Where did God find you? Remember where, where you were about the kind of the time frame when you found Christ? Remember what was going on? It might have been, you know, you just, you just felt the love of God and that drew you in. It might have been you just, you're afraid you're going to hell and that drew you in. But something drew you in. Never forget where you came from. But always when you're sharing your faith, let your future be bigger than your past. See, a lot of people, you know what You know, I hear from Christians all the time? My past is bigger than my present or my future. 
I remember when. Well, those days are gone. Why not have your, your future be bigger than your past? That's exciting, isn't it? Your greatest days are ahead. God, is, God is, is in your life more than he's ever been if you let him. And you're as close to him as you want to be. And you're as vocal as you want to be. This whole class was about encouraging one another, learning some skills, getting fired up, getting motivated so that we take this world. I love what Bonke said, you know, in, in his, his crusade. He said, Africa will be saved. That was his big word, Africa will be saved. Gee, that's a pretty big statement. He didn't save all of Africa. He only got like, what, 22 million of them saved. Should we all have that kind of failure? What if we started saying Anaheim will be saved, my neighborhood will be saved, my school will be saved, my, the people I work with will be saved. We're going, to, we're going to see people come into the kingdom. What about, you know, if you're working that reception desk, whether you're volunteering, you're up here on staff or whatever else, you're the, you know what, my job is to not just get them in here and give them a tour. I'm going to get them saved. Amen? All right. Let's see what time it is. It's 9 o'clock. Thank you for being a part of this class. Amen. It's so, uh, it's so encouraging, you know, and... Uh, I love to, to hear the, the testimonies of people say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to take a break, not take the class, and then I see you rolling back in. So it, that's always, I love that, you know, you just, you, we're just like a fungus. We just kind of grow on you, you know, you just don't know what to do with it, right? But uh, let me encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to sign up for the uh, next class. It starts January 6th, I believe is the date. I think that's correct. And it's going to be on discipleship. Um, do something else, too. Invite people to join you. And, hey, I don't know how many of you, you know, you got to be four out of the six classes to get credit. Got to be in class four of the six times. I hope all of you will make that your goal. I got to be here at least four times, right? Be great to be here six times, but you ought to be here. Get here the four times. Get the credit. Um, so you're going to get this, uh, um, you know, kind of move through the system and, and get the uh, certificate that we're going to give you that uh, will buy your way into any, any dominion of darkness and let you tell them about you. Amen? That's what we're all about. Uh, I'm going to close with one story. Uh, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. When he died, there were more people that attended his funeral than attended Queen Elizabeth. Okay? But uh, one time he was stopped, and he said, you know... Um, you know, Mr. Booth, your your uh, soldiers for Christ—they're not trained. They're not—they're not educated people. They're not—they've uh, not had degrees. And wouldn't you like them to go to school? He said, "I would. If I—I I would wish that every one of my soldiers would go to school." Well, this was news. The reporter's writing it down. He wants to get this down, and he said, "Well, what kind of school would you like them to go to?" I would like them to go to hell for two weeks. And when they came back, they would never be the same. And they would tell everybody about Jesus. Isn't that good? Yeah. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you, God, for what you've poured into their heart. God, for their smiles, their enthusiasm, their energy. God, for their perseverance to set through um, six classes, uh, 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 two and a half hours in length, 
um, is just a is just a great testimony of their passion, the passion they have for Jesus. And Father, to see what we've been able to do in this church start in just under three years, God is is just amazing. And uh, God, you only know what's going to happen in the next three years. But we pray, God, right now that you will just we beseech the Lord of the harvest that you would send labors into your harvest, that we would see people saved by the hundreds and by the thousands, God. And we'd be more concerned about them being saved than being in our church. It's all about the kingdom, God. It's about seeing people come into the kingdom. And may we see that, God, and whatever, whoever you want to bring here and begin to pull together into this, into this fellowship, God, is great. God, and we, we welcome every one of them, God. But more importantly, we don't want to see anybody go to hell. So save the lost, God, and use us. Use every one of us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, good news and bad news. Good news is we have to take the tables down. Uh, it's a kind of our routine, amen? Everybody knows how to serve, right? Uh, that's the bad news. The, the, good news, the good news is that our loading dock area that we're remodeling is going to give us space, and we can leave our, our stuff set up unless there's an event. We can have our table set up. We're going to have plenty of room. We could be able to seat about 300 people out there in that new area, and they have texturized it. They're going to have it painted and insulated by Saturday, isn't that great? Garage doors go up on it uh, the next week, and probably by Christmas we'll have it all done, and it's got a big fireplace in it so that we can sit out there and, and roast marshmallows and stuff. And Not really. Anyway, God bless you guys. Let's take the tables down and uh, –